Hello and welcome to the Resurrected ACC Now podcast. It's, it's back and, and presumably better than ever before. All of our, the NNO's college, whatever podcasts. We've started over with one brand and the theme music goes here. <laughs> uh, yeah, Let's see right. if they can buy us some music. Let's we'll see if they that. can buy us some music. <laughs> how many ads do we have to sell to get feed? Uh, I'm Luke Decock, News Observer Sports Columnist. With me, Steve Wiseman, our Duke beat writer and ACC writer, and just about anything else that comes across his radar screen uh, when he hasn't already done a full day's work. This is the first of what we intend to be a regular series of podcasts. Uh, our Friday afternoon podcast, we're recording this on Friday, December 17th in the afternoon, uh, typically be a, a look ahead at the weekend and everything that's coming up. And, and we'll get back on uh, on Tuesdays and look at the, the week that was. Uh, it won't just be me and Steve all the time. So if you hate this one, I have great news for you. Uh, the whole staff's going to contribute, CL and Jonas and and Chip and and, and others as well. Uh, we, we got, we're going to get the whole the whole crew involved. Less but, of uh, us is, is going to be good, I think. In yes, that. yes. They put us first <laughs> just to get us out of the way, for sure. Uh, so as much as we would love to talk about the weekend ahead, Steve, and we would, uh, with some, some uh, well, Duke may or may not have a game, and UNC's playing a team it wasn't expected to play, uh, that, that all gets us back. I mean, we can't start this without talking about COVID and how it feels like we're right back in January of 2021 with, with games being postponed or canceled. and opponents being rearranged and and Steve just from your perspective on the Duke beat it's been a crazy week in that respect it has I mean uh, as again as we sit here and talk right now Duke does not have an opponent for Saturday's four o'clock game that's supposed to be televised by ACC network so inventory is a big thing here they need to get a game Um, you know they're supposed to play Cleveland State Cleveland State had to back out because of positive COVID tests Uh, John Jackson and the crew at Duke quickly lined up uh, Loyola of Maryland uh, they were supposed to come, and then Friday morning, they had positive tests, so they're not coming. So now they're scrambling, uh, trying to get somebody else. And I know they talked to four or five schools before they landed on Loyola uh, of Maryland for this game. So hopefully they can double back. And then, of course, since then, other teams have become available, right? Like VCU is available. And again, I don't know if they're going to get them or not. It's just Rick, Rick Pitino and Iona. They're dying for somebody to fly up to Madison Square Garden and play a game which under normal circumstances for Duke would be perfect, right? I mean, that's the second Cameron is the garden. Um, I don't think that's what they're going to do. They don't want to give up a home game. They don't want to travel into a infected area. The Northeast is, is lit up right now. Anyway, so it's been a nuts, a nuts week. And there's been two games that they played. Uh, they did play South Carolina state and beat them handily as expected. And same with Appalachian on uh, Thursday night. So in between all that, uh, you know, they're trying to get this last non-conference game in before they open conference play next week against Virginia Tech. And that's important to Coach K. He doesn't want to have, you know, uh, fewer games than what's allowed. You know, it's his last season, right? So every game is precious. And um, so he wants to get this game in uh, to get the team one more so they're ready for ACC play. Which is crazy because last year they pulled the plug on their entire non-conference schedule. They did. Yeah, I was just, as I was saying that, that popped into my head. So yeah. I wonder if make up your minds. <laughs> Come on, Kay. What are you doing? Last year was such a disaster. I mean, he just didn't want, you know, I guess at that point they just lost Jalen Johnson to being injured and they'd already lost two home games. And I don't know. 
It wasn't but, any fun for anybody. No, it, it wasn't. <laughs> and obviously the Duke women's team pulled the plug entirely yes. uh, at about the same time. But I, I think it's an interesting sort of test case between what we were looking at last year and what we're looking at now, where it feels like at every level, whether it's college basketball, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, which is, which is dealing with a massive outbreak. In fact, three teams are, are going to take off until after Christmas now. And the Hurricanes, despite being down six players and now their goaltending coach, aren't even one of them, which tells you how crazy things are right now. But it, it feels like everybody is trying to just plow through this. Like last year, right. people were shutting down. We were pausing. You know, and obviously it's partially because a lot of people, almost everybody in athletics is vaccinated and most are boosted. It, But it also feels like there's almost a, if we overreacted at times, sort of going back to March of 2020, we're sort of determined to underreact now. And obviously part of that is, you know, there isn't the political will to shut things down that there was then. I mean, people are just tired. They're tired of it. Right. And, and exhausted. So it does seem like we're all just trying to push through this and kind of hope for the best. But man, what what a week, what a day just today, just today. And, and you know, we do have tools now that we didn't have then that we didn't have a year ago. Right. I mean, a year ago, the vaccines were first starting to come out and they hadn't made it to athletes yet. No, we're talking they about hadn't, hadn't made point. it to, to sports writers, and right? Which we is had, more we hadn't yet gone to Harnett County to get our vaccine <laughs> for a run run to the border for uh, to find the vaccine. Um, so, in fact, I just heard you know uh, Anthony Fauci this morning at a press conference um, talking about how this with Omicron, if uh, if you are vaccinated and boosted, you're in pretty good shape. Like it's it's not going to touch yeah. you. If if you get it, you won't get sick. We can plot forward with that, right? Right. If you're just vaccinated, not boosted, eh, not quite as good. I mean, it's probably going to hit you. And if, you're unvac- if you're unvaccinated, forget you're it. You're in trouble. But the, trouble. the vaccinated, not boosted thing is what we're seeing a little bit in the NHL because of the timing of boosters and being six months from your last dose or your, you know, your second dose, a lot of players, including Hurricanes general manager Don Waddell said the other night, most of the Hurricanes, other than a half dozen players, we're waiting for the Christmas break to do it because they've basically been playing every other day uh, when they've been at home or they've been on the road, which are obviously circumstances where you, you don't, you know, you don't want to have the booster the day before a game. You don't want to have it, uh, you know, especially if, if you're the type that has a reaction and obviously a lot of people are. So, right. You know, reminds us, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut. It no, reminds no, no. us of NC state baseball, doesn't it? Yeah. They it, wanted to wait until after it was done because they were worried about missing the game and all that. Sure. Sure. It's kind of yeah. similar. Uh, yeah, different. Uh, we've, we've got a variant now that's take, turning the clock back to the College World Series in some ways. So, yeah, like if you are boosted, we are seeing breakthrough infections that people are OK. I think a lot of especially in the NHL, where a lot of players were on that same timetable, uh, you know, we're, we were seeing uh, uh, vaccinated but unboosted players and some are boosted. Uh, and then the breakthrough infections once the virus kind of got within the team, you know, Calgary basically their entire team has tested positive in the last 10 days. Uh, and, yeah. and they believe it's, it's, it's Omicron there. So my guess is that the hurricanes and other NHL teams, not just the hurricanes that went through sort of typhoid Calgary uh, <laughs> are bringing uh, you know, this, this sort of Alberta Omicron variant back home, but yeah. And, and eventually we're going to get to a point where there's a pill you take, you know, like a, a, an antiviral pill where, you know, you take it and you're fine. And then we yeah. can move past this entirely. We'll, we will get to that point eventually, I think. I, it's 
it seems like we're on that track. But for now, it does feel a little bit, there's a lot of deja vu going on here as these games get postponed and canceled. It does feel like it. I mean, every, you know, it's like every hour we're checking to see like what's happening. It's really happening. You know, boom, boom, boom. Just like March, 2020, when we were in Greensboro sitting there hearing about, you know, the Ivy league shut down their turn. Remember all that? And the big 10 and finally got around to the ACC and we're sitting and we saw it unravel before our eyes. And it all happened within like, you know, half hour, everything changed. 20 minutes, oh, everything changed. Yeah. I remember <laughs> sitting on press row in Greensboro while we were, you know, waiting for the start of that Clemson, Florida state game. Mm-hmm. And I've got my phone out and Dan Schulman from ESPN has got his phone out and we're both refreshing. And every time we refresh, there's something new. And it was basically like that scene in wall street where they're all dumping blue star airlines. Yeah. And it's like another thousand out. And I would be like <laughs> conference America conference USA out. AAC out, you know, we were like yelling back and forth because it was happening that fast. And it today feels like that with the NFL players. Um, and like, look at, look at UNC. UNC was, went to Las Vegas, got on a plane, still expecting to play UCLA. And, and now we'll play Kentucky because Ohio State right. and UCLA both dropped out. It all so changed that. while they're in the air. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can, that's how it is right now. You can get on a plane and land and you're, everything's changed. I mean, the hurricanes <laughs> had to, had to, they had to pull their own little Argo operation. Yeah. Three guys out of Vancouver across the border in an ambulance and then fly them on a private jet from Snohomish, Washington to St. Paul, Minnesota, and then St. Paul to Raleigh. Like they couldn't use commercial airports. They had to, they had a three hour delay trying to argue their way across the border, even though it all been, I mean, it, it, it's, it's insane. It's just, it's, it's all just insane. So <laughs> You know, let's talk a little bit, though, Steve, going forward. We, we've had a few Ivy, uh, excuse me, Ivy League, got Ivy League on the brain. Uh, yeah. We've got a few ACC games so far that have gone off the schedule. But the ACC protocol that they announced in October is if one team can play and the other can't, that's a forfeit. I think when that started out, they thought that was a very unlikely scenario. And but I now, think it was also, yeah, yeah, now it's different. And I, and I think it was like many things that were done. It was to incentivize getting vaccinated, right? We're trying right. to convince people to do it. And that's happened, I believe, for the most part. I mean, like we know at Duke, what they've done in other schools. Um, but yet now it, it's more likely to happen. than I think they're, I will be surprised if they don't revisit this, given what's going on around the country right now with this, with this variant. Right, because think about it. If Syracuse and Duke were playing Saturday, you know, a couple of years ago or last year, State and Carolina played on December 22nd. Like, it's not out of the question now in this ACC Network universe for teams to be playing a, a league game during the exam break. I mean, we've seen right. it before. Last year was different, obviously, because everything was virtual. But but if Syracuse were coming to Duke this weekend for the biggest rivalry in the ACC, according to ESPN, hmm. Duke would, by the protocols as they're written, win by forfeit. Yes, that's Crazy. right. And they, you couldn't push it back to later in the year or something, you know, to make that. Cause, and you would think again, ESPN would want to push it back to a different date. Cause they want to show that game. Yeah. Right? Cause I mean, it, they it would get a big audience, right? That's it's inventory. So um, yeah. Yeah. That's why I think there's going to be that kind of pressure. Now as you talk about trying to plow through and again, the treatments that are available, things that are different now than they were that there's, there's more acceptance of that, of like trying to push through and, and trying to, uh, to play those games, whether that's right or not. I mean, yeah. luckily, again, with this variant, there's not a lot 
it's more it's highly contagious, but not quite as lethal, not quite as severe as severity far of illness. As we know so far. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know that we're, we're I think we're all kind of hoping that. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is it it is it is strange though that you have like in the NFL right now, like today apparently the Raiders are losing their minds mm-hmm. because their their NFL is doing everything possible to reschedule their game with I can't remember who it is. Cleveland, I believe. Cleveland, yes, it is yes. Cleveland that's having major COVID issues. And the Raiders are like, hey, they're holding up the memo from August. Like, if we're okay and they're not, that's a win for us. Yes, we but, get the win. <laughs> but you know, I think like the ACC, everybody's reevaluating. And one thing the NFL has done that I think the ACC can do because they do have a pretty robust testing apparatus in place. And because as far as we know, and I believe this to be the case, almost everybody in the ACC is vaccinated. Right. And that's that's sort of the conventional uh, assumed wisdom here based on, you know, obviously no one wants to come out and say it because they pretend that HIP is an issue, but it's, it's we, the way things have operated, they have operated as if everybody or almost everybody is vaccinated. Unlike in the spring, it, it the NFL is going to get to a place. This is in their latest adjustment where if you are vaccinated and boosted and you test positive, you can return to normal activity as soon as you test negative twice. So if you have it and it goes through you in a day or two, you don't have to do 10 or 14 or whatever the, the appropriate quarantine is. I, I think that's another thing that we're going to see as we sort of realize that there's a kind of, uh, you know, this is this is a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Right. And so we're going to make more accommodations for the vaccinated. I think that's going to be one of them. And, and that sounds reasonable. Right. It, to me, given given what we know, what the experts know about this variant right now, which, again, it's early on in it. But the facts that we have at this point, that sounds like something that's reasonable that that passes through. You, you test negative. You know, I get sick. You're not contagious anymore. Asymptomatic. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. All that. All good. Get him back out there and get him playing. I agree. I don't know why everyone's not as smart as you and I are. But come on. This is that hard, especially in the <laughs> NHL. But we'll we'll definitely see. Uh, you know, what, what happens with the ACC? Cause I think we will see a revision with that, uh, with that policy at some point. Now here's something that I am is on my radar that I, it's in my mind. I'm checking on is protocols for fans in the stands sure. because Syracuse just this morning uh, instituted a vaccine mandate or a negative, a recent negative test to get into the dome for when, when they return to play right now, we don't know when it's going to be. Um, obviously, Duke's already had that in place, uh, but also Syracuse went a little further and like they're cutting off concession sales, limiting it to water, I think coffee or something like that. So, you know, obviously there's a max mandate if you have a mask on and you're not as many opportunities to eat or drink that you have the mask on more. That's their idea. So um, Duke obviously was so, you know, they were so restrictive and strict and have been sure. but, frankly smart about this thing since it began that I wonder if they're having conversations about, okay, is it time to cut back fans and, and Cameron or all that? And, and we know coach K obviously wants as many fans, you know, he's talked at nauseum about that, about how awful last year was without the fans. So. Well, how and, that and, and just the idea of people who bought tickets to Duke games to see K on his farewell tour. Right. And then being told, Hey, we're not allowing any fans in or, or allowing any media in, which is what they did last year. I mean, it's, 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 right. an, it's, that's a that's a tough spot to be in for Duke when you've built up the season to what it is. Yeah. Uh, to 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 I don't want to say threaten because it makes it sound like a negative, but to consider doing that 
and, and have that sort of hanging over the head of, of the rest of the season. Let's uh, this is where we take a break to sell some ads. Okay. What do you got? Oh, okay. We'll leave, we'll leave a blank spot there for them to fill the ad in. We got, we got an ad here. Maybe someday (laughs) soon, someday this is going to pay all of the bills. I promise. Um, but let's, I, I mean, I think we've covered COVID anyway. I think that's, that's, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, that's about all we can say right now. I think yeah, the the, this is all happening again. And, uh, you know, check back every half hour or maybe 15 minutes and, and we'll yeah, see it. Hopefully, hopefully we get through the holidays here. Right. Yeah. By the time we get around to posting this, it's all going to be out of date anyways. <laughs> I want to move on. Uh, there's a couple other topics I want to hit while we're here. Uh, briefly, uh, as long as you're here and, and we're talking about Duke, I, let's talk a little bit about Mike Elko, the Duke's hire as a football coach. Uh, it, uh, there's some interesting things about this that, uh, that I've written, that you've written. Uh, we, I think we've covered the ground pretty well in print, uh, you know, not least of which was I was a senior at Penn when he was a freshman, part of the, the proud Ivy League Penn, Penn football tradition um, during a run of uh, a lot of titles in a very short period of time, really the greatest run in, in Ivy League football history. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is someone who's worked at Wake Forest, obviously, under Dave Clawson, was part of the first three years of the resurrection there, uh, worked at Notre Dame. So I, that therefore he qualifies to work at Duke. That's right. And also worked at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher, where I think he was the third highest paid assistant in the country, which is, yeah. uh, you know, just making an ungodly amount of money to be a defensive coordinator. Two questions for you, Steve, about Mike Elko. One, do you agree with my theory that like Wake Forest and Jim Grobe, the coach who took the program from nothing to something and then saw it kind of fall back again, left a foundation in place where the turnaround should be quicker than the build. That's question number one. And question number two is, it is interesting that Duke, which even in its bad years, always seemed like an offense-heavy program, even before Cutcliffe. Now, Ted Roof was a defensive coordinator, obviously. Uh, it's, it, it was interesting to me that Duke went for a defensive guy. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, that let's let's start with number one first. We'll come back to number two and the and the and the defense thing. Um, yes, I, I agree with you that you know what Cutcliffe took over in December of two thousand seven, and what Elko took over fourteen years later, almost to the day, is a far different situation. He gave his opening press conference in an indoor practice facility that wasn't even on the boards yet <laughs> in two thousand seven. When, when Cutcliffe walked in there, they didn't have a full length practice field when Cutcliffe took over. Uh, the old building was only five years old, their football facility, you know, there was still a track around Wallace Wade stadium. We still, the press box and the luxury suites was a doctor's office that was converted into those for Saturday for game day. So that that's what Duke football used to be. And within the last 14 years, that's been transformed dramatically. They put hundred million dollars into renovating Wallace Wade stadium. They have, luxury suites and club seats that generate income. So if there's nobody in the regular seats, they're still getting income from those was that that's, that's been funding things. And um, indoor facility was built before state Carolina had indoor facilities before Florida state had an indoor facility. Duke had one. So all those things are good. And that, that, that matters. Uh, But (laughs) important point is those things were built a while ago. The indoor facility was built in 2011, 10 years is forever in the arms race of college football. It's outdated now. It's it, it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It's a nice building. It works. 
but you walk in there and you don't get it. You're not blown away by it anymore. It's just there's, there's no a there's no balcony. There's no video right. board. There's right. no giant speakers and sound system like Carolina's has now. You know, and, and and states has big doors on the sides that you can open up and practice indoors while it's raining and feel like you're outdoors, as does Carolina's. You know, it, it's true. There there are things that to to me the indoor facility is actually the least of Duke's problems. You know, what the, the really outdated thing, and we've talked about this, you've written about this, is 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 the office building, the football complex itself, right. the meeting rooms, the locker rooms, the coach's office. You know, that's pre-2000, which, you know, is Jurassic. It's, it's Cretaceous in, in college athletics terms. That's got to get done. And we asked, you and I asked Nina King directly about that at the Elko press conference. And she said they've got to raise some money to do that. So to me, that's indicative of, of kind of what you were getting back to, which is even the facilities that they've built have been there for a while. And there's still a lot of work to be done. And over the last 10 years since the indoor facility was built and since Wallace Wade was redone, Duke has built a stadium for, I believe, literally every sport on campus since then. I yes. mean, the amount of money that's been poured into stuff that isn't football, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just pointing out that it wouldn't kill them. And I think this hurt the program in David Cuckle's final years to come back and reinvest in football a little bit. I think it's time. It has to be. And just ask Jim Phillips. That's what he would want to do, right? I mean, football is supposed to be the biggest thing in the ACC right now. And, and rightfully so, because that's where the money is in, in college football, in the college athletics world. That's what we're talking about. So, yeah, they did. You know, they could have done more with with Wallace Wade. And, and um, again, we're recording this on Friday, but on Sunday, we'll have a story in, in the News Observer about that, I, that I've written about looking at what they're planning on doing to the Yo. Uh, the old building and they're going to, you know, renovate, they want to spend 30 million or so to go in there and uh, redo the locker room, redo some other things. I'm told they found an architect um, kind of look at it and and they found 4,000 square feet. that was kind of unused. It was kind of in a, a ceiling, the ceiling of the locker room and they could use it like from the space above it. I guess it wasn't properly utilized. That's one thing I heard that they're, they're thinking about doing. So right now it's technically in the discussion phase. It, it was, Talked about with the board earlier this month. Uh, they're supposed to take action on it, hopefully in the spring. Um, but as as you said, uh, Nina already told us that hey, they have to raise the money to get it. Unlike basketball, which is gonna, they want to build a facility for the men's and women's players to hang out in. That money's in hand, sixty million dollars they have in the legacy fund. Uh, that's supposed to be approved in the spring too, by the way. So as an Which aside, but really, a, that, that's a topic of an entirely different podcast. <laughs> yes. But if you're, if you're interested in that, you can Google, Google the column I wrote when Krzyzewski announced his retirement, or I broke down the legacy fund and why it's significant and why he'll keep his hands on the reins of power long after he's no longer behind the bench. Correct. Uh, but $60 million for that building, right? The Yo building in, opened in 2002, $22 million project. Yeah. So that tells you how different. And now they're spending, they're talking about spending more on this renovation than the entire building cost 20 years ago to build. So yeah. that's that's kind of where we are. Our, our friends at the Beck Group will be very happy to hear about that. Yes, the Beck these prices has, has done quite well uh, um, in the Duke facility arms <laughs> race for sure. Uh, and but you know, so let's get back to your second point, your second yes. question here about. Uh, going in the, in the, in the direction of defense. And uh, yeah, that was a little surprise. I mean, they talked to Tony Elliott, offense coordinator of Clemson. He was very close uh, in the, in the final running there. 
whatever level of interest they had in Jason Garrett, uh, obviously an offensive guy. Uh, they talked to him, but in the end, they settled on Elko. And, um, you know, let's face it, Duke's defense has been pretty bad the last few years here. That That's where they took – they went backwards faster than anything else, I think. That's I, where they I, took you know, the biggest hit. That's Absolutely. correct. When you look at the decline of the program. Right. And, and you say that, it sounds crazy given how bad their offense has been the last two years. Yeah. But But when you look at Duke's good teams and you go back eight years, six years – five years, you know, they had NFL caliber defensive backs, Jeremy Cash, yes. Devon Edwards. I mean, they had guys who could flat out play, not by Duke standards and not even by ACC standards, but like legit national standards. And, and yes, you know, they had coaches like Derek Jones, like Jim Knowles, who are no longer there, who could recruit and scheme and, and build a defense like that. Uh, the slippage there, really, when you look at last, last season and then this season, where they just couldn't compete on defense. I I think you can scheme your way out of not having as much talent on offense if you're really good. I don't think there's any way to scheme your way out of trouble on defense. And I think Duke was absolutely exposed the last two years. Just a speed, size, strength, uh, football sense, every attribute. They just did not have ACC caliber defensive talent, with a few exceptions. Right. But even their best players would make what, you know, basic mistakes, missing tackles, missing assignments, stuff that's obvious to the, the layman. Shaka Hayward is an example of that. I like to point him out. I mean, he had that missed tackle on Malik Cunningham's long run in that Thursday night debacle. Shaka Hayward was Duke's leading tackler this year, one of the better, you know, linebackers in the ACC. Uh, all think he was third team, I think, anyway. But he he whiffed on a tackle, just whiffed on it. And, um, that that's what happened to me as I watched this program over the last few years, I had gotten used to them always having like a linebacker, like remember David Helton, yeah, oh, Kelby yeah. Brown, those guys, they Brown, the sure. NFL, but they led, they, they were top notch linebackers and they had Jeremy cash and Ross Cockrell and Brian borders, yeah. two guys yeah. there that are still in the NFL. And so when these new guys came along, I kept thinking, okay, this is what Duke does. They have. You know, if they're recruiting this guy to come in and, and start at, at corner, like Josh Blackwell or somebody like that, Lummy Young, okay, they're on that level. They weren't. They yeah. weren't, and and they didn't improve. They 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 stayed the same or got regressed in talent yeah. as, as their career which went is, on. Which is which is it, it sounds harsh to say it, but it really and and I you know it's not like they weren't trying. I mean, I think that right. was the thing about Duke was you know the the effort really was there, and and you look at the weight game. Um, you know, there were games where they were a first down or two away from, you know, having a 14, nothing lead or a fumble away from a, it. They're really, right. it, despite, despite losing all those games by 40 <laughs> points, the margins early on in some of those games, and then, you know, talent sort of wore them down, but the margins early on in those games were fine. It was just a, a team that was just prone to mistakes. And in the end, that's it, 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 you can only rely on will so much. It's a right. talent game. It really is. And you, you could see that the, the, the guys Duke had just haven't been as good. Now we say this now in December of 2021 and maybe with a change in coaching staff, but, and then I don't expect it. Cause I think Cutcliffe it was a very good coach. And I think even if he'd had some brain drain on his staff, it was still a, a good staff. I, I don't think this is going to be one of those situations where a bunch of guys who struggled at the ACC level suddenly turn out to be ACC caliber players. I could be wrong, but they should be in a the, the change of voice and the change of scenery should provoke at least a wake up call for some guys who, you know, may have more to offer. 
Yes, and I'll tell you why about that. Because obviously we know how how much those players loved Cutcliffe and, and and all that and all the things he did and the man he was. Right, that that's without question. But during the year, every once in a while, I kept asking a player, "Hey, you know, there's some talk that like if you guys don't win, the coaches may lose their jobs. Like, how do you feel about that?" And it was always like, "Well, you know, we're, we're trying our best." And it, I, I thought it would invoke some some passion or some fire. It didn't for anybody. Yeah. Well, we you know, you know when we saw it was Jake Bobo at the very end. Yes. Jake, when when it became clear that this was sort of an inevitability, the I think the the Jake Bobo, whether it was the Miami game or the Louisville, I can't remember. It was Louisville. It was Louisville. It was Louisville. Yep. But it was a player who could tell his coach was going to get fired and felt very bad about it. Right. And that actually, sadly, it was too late by then. Even yeah. if they'd have won against Miami, it wouldn't have made any difference, as we now yeah. know. But you're right. That was that was the only Jake was the only one. And I had heard that about him. He's a northeastern kid, you know, right? So he was used to saying what's on his mind and didn't yeah. mind uh doing it. And that was at UCLA. So <laughs> we'll see what happens uh with him. But uh yeah, so um that's what I think maybe just the change of voice, like you mentioned. Okay, snap us, snap us out of this, right? You're right. They're not gonna turn into you know first round picks or all ACC first team players, but just that little change of voice and change of scheme, maybe a little bit. And then whatever he gets, it brings in here in the transfer portal or, you know, whatever class he has. I mean, Duke's not going to have a winning season next year. I don't think that's something we can expect. No, I mean, I, even if you look at, at Clawson at Wake and, and you know, the success they're having now, it, it took three years. Right. You know, Elko's first two seasons as defensive coordinator at Wake Forest, they were not great. I think they won five games one year and maybe five games the next year. And then the third year they were bowl eligible. They were six and seven or seven and six. I can't remember which one, but they were, they were on their way at that point. John Wolford had been sacked enough Mm. that they could finally move that poor kid, that they could finally move forward and start and start winning some football games. So. And and that's why it's going to take a couple of years, you know, but again, that's why a guy like Mike Elko, who was making 2.1 million as a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, it's still attractive for him to come to Duke and make, you know, 3 million or a little more. Uh, that's a small raise in the college football world, but he knows he's going to have a long runway. You know, if he doesn't win the first couple of years, nobody's going to be called for his head. Yeah. Although I thought it true. Ag- agreed um, that the, the last two, two and a half years of Duke football made that true for anybody who took the job that, you know, when you lose, 19, 17, how many ACC games in a row? Yeah, 17 the last two, 17. one in 17 in the last two years, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that, that there's going to be a runway for anybody. I did find it interesting, though, and this is kind of what I wrote. If you're Mike Elko's age, you're 44, and you maybe weren't paying attention. Like, like, like I, 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 he may, because it's the whole world, I would bet a small amount of money that Mike Elko couldn't pick Carl Franks out of a lineup. Right. Like, I, like he just doesn't have that awareness that we do, that you do, that I do, that people in the triangle do of how bad Duke football was when it was bad. Like that's not even, it's, it's not even a frame of reference for him. He, he wasn't around for the jokes. He was off coaching at Fordham, which Lord knows has football problems of its own, basketball right. problems of its own. So he comes in here and he, the Duke he knows is the team that, Beat the pants off in his first year at Wake Forest. Hung forty-one on his defense. Right. It's it's he remembers watching Duke, you know, with the lead on Texas A and M in the Peach Bowl. 
even if they got Johnny Menzel after that. It was 38-17 at halftime. It's I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> I had a great column written. I had a great column written. Damn that Manziel. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and then they got Johnny Football right into the ground. Uh, you know, they're, they're, that's that's more his frame of reference. And it's hard. It's honestly, it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes, having written about the fact that Duke won a lawsuit against Louis. That when Louisville sued them, Duke won by arguing we are the worst college football program in the country. Period. And literally any other team you schedule would be better than us. That's the yes. argument Duke's lawyers made in court and won. It's incredible and incredible. That was and that 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 suit was before David Cutcliffe got here. It was settled while he was here, which much of, must have been a, a wonderful feeling for the guy who takes over this rebuilding project. Still can't beat <laughs> Richmond at that point. Yes, and then, and then wins a lawsuit that that says that you are officially legally the worst program in the country. <laughs> One other point I want to hit here, Steve, and just to mention it really in case anyone missed it, uh, Chip Alexander on our staff a few weeks ago fascinating story about officiating timing systems and conflicts of interest and the gist of it. And I strongly encourage you to go read it. If you haven't, the gist of it is there's a a timing system, which is invented by a guy here in Raleigh called precision time, which, which almost everybody, the NCAA tournament, the ACC actually was AC was an early adopter. It's a little microphone that attaches to the official's Jersey and a little belt pack that has a button on it. And they start and stop the clock. They start the clock with a button and they stop the clock by blowing their whistle. And the whole thing is automated. And it takes us, it has, it, across the game of college basketball, it has removed so much time we used to spend putting time back on the clock mm. late in games on inbounds passes, especially, and you know this, Steve, at Duke. <laughs> at Cameron. Freaking clock never freaking worked. <laughs> ever. So precision time fixed that. They use it in the NCAA tournament. Now it's great. Well, a couple referees came up with a competing device and uh, filmed a video in NC State's gym without NC State's permission to use their logos and and branding, et cetera. Got a cease and desist on that. And uh, the the founder of Precision Time alleges that one of the officials who's an investor in that project cooked the books using Precision Time to mistime the end of a game between... uh, uh, I've told you it's UC Riverside, I think, and Arizona State, I believe it was. Arizona yeah. State, one of the one of the University of California system schools. And he has data from the precision time logs that the official in question was starting the clock at the wrong time using the button. Anyway, I highly encourage you to go check out that story if you haven't seen it already. It's fascinating. Uh, I think there's going to be fallout from that to me, just as an armchair prosecutor. It feels like if you have altered the result of a college basketball game that you potentially are facing a, you know, that's a RICO predicate for a federal lawsuit, interstate commerce, all of that stuff. It's, it'd be hard for somebody like that. If it's proven to remain an official, I mean, it's kind of like the, the NBA official, uh, you know, who's caught gambling, right. Yeah, I mean, kind of, it's it, like, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, you know, that, that's a black mark. You can't erase. So, so and, and it's Roger Ayers. We're talking, I mean, you know, Roger Ayers is one of the better, yeah, not the one that's used in the, country. in the Arizona State game, but the right, right. filmed the video at NC State. Yeah, um, you know, and, and then posted this promotional video with without NC State's permission. Is Roger Harris, who's the ACC's? It's he's the best. He's the ACC's best referee. There's, there's absolutely yeah. no doubt about that. One of the best in the country uh, would probably, almost certainly, have worked the Final Four last year if he hadn't been uh, part of the Izzy's and Harriet Six, the officials who went home after 
after a positive test. And, and Ayers actually tested positive and got very ill, you know, was, mm. was, was very ill in that period after the, the NCAA tournament as he recovered. So, uh, yes, big names involved. Uh, fascinating story. I'm just sort of pointing it out. I don't, you, do you have any comments on that that you would like to share? I, I was just sort of bringing it up, but you may have some thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely something that, it, you know, is, is a very, a very good story. I mean, it's, like you said, it's fascinating that, um, you know, and Roger Ayers just worked a game at Duke the other night on Tuesday night. Uh, he was there and he's, you know, uh, again, one of the better officials and, uh, just to be on the, on, on, as part of that story, um, it's just to look at something that, you know, people don't expect, right. You don't expect officials to be involved in situations like that, but I mean, he's, he's part of a company trying to make money, right. I mean, he sees, sees a need for something and thinks they can make it better or whatever. Um, and, and just get carried away with whatever's going on. They're taking the, you know, taking the video in NC state and that makes it look like the ACC supports what he's doing. And that's not something they are because they're using precision. So anyway, yeah. and the NCA too, you know, you could, right. Exactly. It, it, you know, if they want to put a stop to this, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, the NCA can say precision time is a partner. And if you affiliate with an, a com- competition to one of our partners, you won't work the NCA tournament. That exactly. Would stop it in its tracks. So th- and that could take one of the better officials out of, out of the running is what we're trying to say. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would. And I would suspect most officials would not find a whole lot of point in the game if they aren't allowed to work the NCA tournament. I mean, that's right. The, you know, that's that's the that's the gold standard. And everybody wants to work that tournament and be invited and advance through the tournament and get to the final four as as heirs and many other ACC referees have over the years. So uh, if that's if this is a topic that interests you. I would love to point you in the direction of the whistleblowers, uh, the yes. podcast that I have done in the past with John Clockerty, who's the former ACC supervisor of officiating a, a multiple Final Four referee himself. That's uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all your all your usual podcast sources. We are currently on sort of a, a permanent hiatus. Uh, we may restart at some point, but all of the old episodes are up there. They're fascinating and entertaining, if I say so myself. So I highly recommend checking that out. I'll uh, say it too. They are. Thank you. We, have, we actually <laughs> have, actually, I think there's only one non-five-star review uh, the last time I looked. So at least somebody likes it. Uh, every, somebody other than the one guy who gave us a non-five-star review. <laughs> I will, I'll, I'll tell you this vaguely funny story before we go here. When the, there was a, another podcast called The Whistleblower uh, we did not file a cease and desist against them because we have no legal resources or money. Uh, but about Tim Donaghy, the crooked NBA ref, and I got an email from an, an agent in LA asking about acquiring the rights to our podcast. And I was like, why, yes, I would be happy to sell the media rights to our podcast. And then at some point he figured out he had the wrong podcast. <laughs> That was it. Dang that it. was the windfall. So, all right. Well, that's Send it over right now. I'll, I'll sign it. I'll sign, sign it. it. Send, send me a check. $10. I'll take it. I'll take whatever. Uh, I think that'll cover us for our first episode here. Obviously, yep. uh, the whole crew, you and me and Chip and Jonas and CL and, and, and anyone else uh, will be back. Uh, but I, I think we've got this off to a rip-roaring start uh, as long as we're not postponed by COVID anytime soon. That's right. We got through this episode. There's no pause put in place. We're ready to go. I think that's when we to move on to the next one. Awesome. So we'll be back uh, presumably on Tuesday uh, to recap the weekend. Maybe not Steve and me, but uh, members of the NNO staff. And I encourage you to, to subscribe to this podcast when it's available. And uh, 
we'll see where things go. Steve, thanks for joining us. This is fun. All right, Luke. Yeah, thanks. Let's do it again next time.